Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Teaching Tactics Podcast. I'm Chris Bean and I'm joined by Chris Kent. Mr. Kent? Hello, sir. Today we're going to talk about turning a bad class into a good class and some different tools that we can use to help to facilitate that. From time to time, you will find yourself teaching or leading a bad class. It happens to all of us. There's a few key takeaways that you can gain from this and help to turn that bad class into a good class. The first of which is to recognize that you are losing the students, be it mentally from teaching too fast, or maybe the material was too advanced for those students. Or maybe even you did a poor job breaking down the information. These are all different ways that you can lose the students. And once the students are lost, you have to do work. You have to re-motivate them, re-energize them, refocus them to get the class back on track. Maybe even you're losing them physically or their, their discipline is gone. Whatever the case, after you notice that you've been teaching a bad class or that you are teaching a bad class or that your class is starting to become a bad class, do something about it. Change something. Do something different. And above all else, don't let one bad class turn into a night of bad classes. So if I start teaching and my first class that I teach for the night happens to turn into a bad class for whatever reason, don't carry that over into the subsequent classes for the night, meaning that you are down or, or focused on that one bad class, trying to tweak it and figure out how you could have done better. Save that for the end of the night or, or later on the next day or whatever it is. Move on from that one bad class and go on to teach the rest of the night and, and teach and lead good classes. Be energized, focused, and, and in control of, 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 the, of the class and then where the direction is going. If you t- continue to dwell on that one bad class, it'll again carry over to the other ones, and, and that'll be a poor time for you and for your students. We talked about this even in regards to the beginning of the night. Maybe you walk in preparing for your first class, and you've had a bad day, or you got a ticket on the way to work, or you had a fight with your your spouse, uh, you got a you know something went wrong before anything even started, and this can this could throw off your whole night and create those bad classes or make it seem like the classes are bad because you're still dwelling or thinking about that bad thing that happened before. So from the very get-go, you need to be able to turn it on and off and, and forget about the bad things and move forward and, and, and have that positive mindset or else that's going to saturate the whole evening uh, or whenever it is that you're teaching. And it's just going to make everything seem bad because you're going into it with a already defeated mindset. So starting from the beginning of the night, wipe the slate clean, start over. And then to your point, if you have a bad class, move it into the next class, wipe the slate clean, forget about it, move forward. And you can analyze or think about what happened later when you're not needing to be out there and performing and motivating and and, uh, interacting with the students. Absolutely. So when that bad class is over, don't analyze it right now. Okay, don't think about what you could have done differently or anything like that. Just let it end. Let it be over. Move to the next one. When the night's over or you have a free time the next day or whatever it is, then go back and think about what steps happened. What, how, did, how did you end up going down the, the teaching the bad class? Right? Was it one student that, was, um, that gained control of the, of the class, meaning that, that one person was the, the jokester in class or told, told a joke or was goofing around and, and fell down and then everybody started falling down. Or maybe you have the, the little kids and one kid has to go to the bathroom and then immediately everybody in class has to go to the bathroom because I know that's happened to everybody that's listening to this. And, and by the way, one way to, to handle that for the little guys you have somebody, a student in that class that's raising their hand as me teaching the class. I'm not the one to answer that student. I'm not going to stop the class and say, yeah, John, what's going on? I have to go potty. Because immediately when that happens, everybody else thinks, oh, yeah, I might have to go potty too. And then everybody has to go potty. So the way to fix that is by having one of your team members answer the questions for that class. That way it's a one-on-one question and answer. The team member goes to Johnny. Hey, Johnny, what's up? I have to go potty. Okay, great. And then Johnny goes potty. Everybody else continues with the class because they are not focused on Johnny. They're focused on whoever's teaching the class. And then that isn't an issue. Just a, just a small 
small tip for that, for dealing with that situation. So once you realize that you went down that bad path and you can try to figure out what those steps were that ha- made that happen, then go back and think about, okay, how can you alleviate those things from happening in the future? Again, was it that person that, that was, was the clown, the class clown and was messing around? The, the way to deal with that is you cut that off before it happens. You get that person on board. And one way you can do that is by making them the example by doing something good. You set up a situation for that person to perform well. Maybe it's they're the example or they're doing something sort of good and then you stop everybody say, hey, look, at, look, man, that is awesome. You're doing an amazing job standing still. And even if they're not saying the best, by stopping class and, and pointing that out, they will fix themselves and they like that. The majority of the time, that person that's the disruption in your class isn't getting that praise at home or at school or other places because that person is the disruption in class at school, they're just the disruption at home, so they're always getting reprimanded. So if we can be that shining light for that person to give them praise for doing something even minutely good, stop the class, make a big deal out of it. That will help to quickly get that person on board with you. Now, of course, doing that one class and thinking that's good forever is not going to happen. Maybe you do that each week, one time per week, one time per week, one one time per week, and then you start to pull that back a little bit just so that person can get some confidence for themselves. So they don't need the laughs from their classmates to get that confidence because you are giving that to them. And really that's, that's what that person is looking for. So if, if that was the case, if you had one person that was the, the disruption, there's some tools and tips on how to manage that. Now, if you have information that you're teaching that just went way over the student's head, you're, so you're teaching the, the class and you're trying to do the moves and, and maybe you went too fast or, or the material is too advanced for those students. In those situations, that can be seen a couple ways. One way that you can pick up on that is that this, some students are doing okay and the majority of the students are, are lost. They don't know what's going on. And when they don't know what's going on, they're getting frustrated and they're getting upset. Other people around them are getting upset. It's not, that, that's going to be a not good situation for a lot of people. And that can quickly turn into a place where you would think that you are understaffed or you, you don't have the manpower to deal with that just because so many people need help all at the same time. Right? That would be another indication that maybe you're teaching too quickly or that the information is too advanced for those students. One way to do that is you can go back and as you try to teach that information again, give it in smaller sections. So maybe instead of doing two or three moves at a time, just do one move at a time. Make sure they can do that adequately. Then carry on the, to the next move. Once they can do that, okay, then you move to the next one and so on. So giving it in smaller sections sometimes can help. And even if it is a little bit advanced for those students, by giving it in smaller sections could make it to where they can still do it. Another way that you could um, fix that type of situation is by breaking it down or using different words or terminology as you're explaining those moves. And so I, I like to think, and I, and, and I would have to imagine or like to imagine that other people also think in word pictures. And so anytime that you can use a word picture as you're trying to teach a move or explain how something goes that will help to make that connection in their head of how their move is actually supposed to be done. Sometimes you could make a, uh, a movement or a series of movements way simpler just by having a concrete example, a, a word picture, something that students can visually see as they're trying to demonstrate those moves or, or perform those moves. Do you have anything to, to add to those, sir? No, sir. What's, a, what, what's another um, common instance that would cause a class to, to be derailed? Sometimes when we're running drills or activities, we have a, a, an idea of how we want them to go, or we have an uh, in, in past experience, we know how something went. and doesn't always go the way we think it's going to go or always go the way that we want it to go. And sometimes, at least personally, I know I'm guilty of running that drill into the ground until I think it has achieved or it looks like what I want it to look like. And that's to the detriment of everybody else because after a few minutes, they're over it, they're bored of it, they're they're tired of it, they want to do something else, but I won't let it go. 
And so we need to come up with some or uh, think about some key indicators as to when we've lost students or when it's time to move on to something else instead of beating that dead horse until everyone is bored or everyone's having a terrible class or no one wants to be there anymore. Because these drills and activities, as beneficial as they can be, they're not fit for every situation. They're not fit for every day. Maybe the day before it worked for the class and the next day you try it and for whatever reason that class just isn't, isn't with it. What I'm not saying is to give up all the time, but being able to determine when to move on and abandon the drill or when to push just a little bit more to try to get them through that drill so they can reap the benefits of it. Again, that's not to say that every activity has a downside or every activity is great. It just depends on the day, depends on who it is, depends on what's happening. But having that intuition or developing that intuition of knowing whether you should move on to something else or if you can push a little bit more to make that drill still beneficial without hurting the class or hurting the students or hurting you by putting you in a bad position. So I think tying into the idea of turning that class around, one way to do that would simply be to not keep doing what isn't working. You know, if I get out, go outside to my car after we're finished recording here and I try to turn the engine on, it doesn't work. I'm not going to sit there 20 more times pushing the button trying to get the engine to turn on. I'm going to open the hood and find out what's wrong with it, fix it, and then move on. You know, Maybe eventually after 50 times, the engine will finally turn on. But at that point, imagine my state of mind. Not to mention, I can't, it can't be good for the car. So again, not that everything is, is detrimental or can't be beneficial, but it is a delicate balance of when you need to figure something else out or if you can still salvage whatever it is you are doing. Right. Yeah. And, and sometimes on paper, we have that drill that was meant to take 15 minutes. And in practice, we explained it, they were able to perform it, and they're, they're ready to move on to the next thing after only five minutes. Um, just because sometimes, you know, on paper, it, it's like that. Or previously, it took 15 minutes to do it because we weren't very good at explaining or laying the, the groundwork to set up that drill co- appropriately. But then after we do it over and over again, we have those, those tools in our, in our toolbox and we have that all, all filtered out. We can do all that. We can set up the drill. We can, we can explain it and, and it took two minutes. Whereas before it took 15 minutes to do that. It just, sometimes that happens. So we have to kind of keep a, a, a finger on the pulse of the class. And so knowing when we need to adjust and move to the next drill and when maybe sometimes the drill needs to take a little bit more time because they need more time to comprehend the moves. And part of that can be from watching the students, but another part can be from watching the parents. And so if you are in, in your class and you can are situated in such a manner that you can see both the students and the parents, the parents can be a, a good indicator for when the student, one, needs help or is doing well or is, is just is being out of hand and, and lost their, their discipline or their control or focus or whatever it is. Sometimes if you have a big class, you can check the parents. Okay, I'm scanning the parents, scanning the parents. Everybody looks okay except for that one parent. Okay, where's this? Where's the kid at? Ah, oh, that kid's having issues. And so that can be a way. If you, if you look at the parents and the parents aren't really into the drill and you look down at the students and they're kind of lost their focus and, and, and ready to move on as well, that can be another indicator that it's, hey, it's time to do something else. And so what... What are some steps that we can take if we have that 15 minute drill that actually only took five minutes and there's, you know, there's 10 minutes of class after that. And so we just started class. We, we got this 15 minute drill that was supposed to take up the bulk of class and they're done, but I'm not, we're not really ready to move to the next thing. Cause I know that the next thing is only going to take five minutes. And then we got one more thing after that, that's going to take five minutes and the class is over. I don't have any other inf- information to give them. I don't want to, you know, overload them by teaching them too much because they're already kind of losing it. This can be a good spot to add in or to work on some five-minute drills. Coming up with a, a group of five-minute drills to fill in time so that you can get things set up or move from one drill to the next or to just have that filler before you move to the next drill or exercise or whatever it is. 
start to identify as area, areas of downtime so that you can fill those gaps in. After noticing that you have downtime, the next step is to do something about it. This could be as simple as having your class do 30 balance kicks on each leg or have them run through whatever their newest pattern of moves are, is, or, their, or their form. This can keep the pace of the class high and also to ensure that your students stay focused on training and not daydreaming about something else or you know, losing your class and starting to, for it to turn into a bad class. For kids, you can even have a collection of five-minute games to help break up the class. One game could be as easy as a discipline game. For this, you would just have the students stand at their attention position. They would stand there, and if somebody moves, that person's out. And then when they're out, they, they sit down, and then you want to see who, you know, at the end who's, the, who's going to stand the, the stillest or who's going to be the last person in. This is always a good place to challenge the boys versus the girls. And as I tell the, the students as we do this, boys, listen, we do this all the time. And the girls, almost every single time, a girl is the last person in. Now, boys, do you want a girl to win this game? I give them an opportunity to answer. They say, no, sir. And I say, girls, are you going to let a boy win this game? No, sir. And then we, boom, they go. So that right off the bat, that turns that seemingly boring thing of standing still and not doing anything into a game, into a a competition because the boys don't want the girls to win. And the girls aren't going to try to let the boys win. And again, more often than not, the girl is better at standing still than the boy is just because, well, boys can't stand still very long. But having that collection of games or drills can be extremely beneficial, okay? Another activity you can do is a quick five-minute workout. A go-to for me is a workout that we like to call 101 Things. For this workout, we have the students do 25 push-ups, 25 sit-ups, 25 jumping jacks, and 25 jump squats. Of course, I explained how the drill is going to go. You're going to do 25 push-ups. Then you're going to roll over on your back. You'll do 25 Uh, sit-ups, you'll stand up, do 25 jumping jacks, and you'll do 25 jump squats. When you're done, you'll do your center splits, and you'll hold that until everybody else is done. And then I say, go, and they do all that. And of course, you know, 25 push-ups, 25 sit-ups, 25 jumping jacks, 25 uh, jump squats, that's 100 things. And then the one thing is the center splits that they hold until the very end. We're we're not very creative with our naming uh, schemes here, so it's just 101 things. So before classes start for the night, Maybe spend a few minutes looking over the lesson plan for the night and and try to key in on where some of those times are going to be that you are going to insert those five-minute drills or those five-minute games or that five-minute breakup of doing something else before you move on to the next activity or the next drill. Taking the time beforehand to look at that can help give you a better outlook on what the classes are going to be for the night. Trying to come up with those things on the spot is okay as long as you have that collection, that database of five-minute drills to pull from. But if you are trying to think of a five-minute drill on the spot, that's going to be tough for you. That's, it would be tough for me as well, but thankfully we have a, a rather large collection, I think, of, of five-minute drills and, and, and skills and, and games to put in. Do you have anything else to, to add to the five-minute drills? Do you have any other key ones that you like? No, sir. Those are the ones you like as well? No, sir. Do you have ones that you like? You don't like any five-minute drills? I don't use this very often. You don't use it very Maybe often. Maybe I should implement it some more. You, you, you have your lesson plans down so well that you don't have to have any five-minute drills. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say everything goes as, as well as I planned. But So what do you do in that five-minute time frame that you have something that you got to fill with? We just switch up the exercise or switch up the activity. You just don't. You don't have a go-to. You go to. You just. You just move to the next one. Or we keep working on whatever it is in a, in a different way. Oh, okay. So okay. if we're working on a front kick, we've done it for five minutes. I can tell they're bored doing what we're doing. Maybe I'll grab a pad and they can do it on the pad, or they'll do it with partners, or I'll keep the same. The, the keep working on the same thing, but in a different way. And we call that disguising the repetition. That's something we can talk about at a different time. But generally, I'd, I won't use it a, an exercise or a game like that. Again, that I could. Now that we're here talking about it, throw that into my class and work on that some more. But generally, I don't use those kind of drills. I try to switch up the current thing and then move forward. Not to say I never have or I don't, but it's not really my go-to type thing for that situation. Yeah, and and you know that's a that's a great optional way to to extend that drill out. So if you have the students that are getting lost or confused or you know they're just mentally done with whatever it is, 
throwing some pads, not necessarily at them, but give them some pads and have them work on whatever it is on pads. Or if they're doing it on pads, take the pads away. Or if they're doing it with a partner, have them do it down the floor. And so switching up how the drill is done can be enough of a difference for those students to make the drill or, or movement different to help to try to refocus them on whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah, that's a, that's a, good, that's a good concept to, to bring in. When you notice the class is getting away from you, have a game plan to get back on track. And in, in this situation, you can just do something different than you're doing now, whether that's extend the drill out by taking the partners away or giving them pads like we talked about, or you just throw in a one of those five-minute drills to mix it up. Maybe that specific drill that you're doing causes students to lose focus or their discipline. So just by switching to the next drill in your lesson plan or changing that drill up just a little bit can be enough to refocus the students on the movements that they need to be done. If you have one or two students, again, that are causing the disruption in the line or, or for the class, trying to focus on them and know that those two think, and sometimes the students think, which means they are in charge of the class, and you're there trying to gain the control back from those students. So by taking those off from the beginning, giving them praise, because again, we talked about those students the majority of time aren't getting the praise in other places. So if you can pick one even small thing to, to really make an over-the-top explanation or an over-the-top praise of why they are doing such a great job on whatever that small little thing is can be extremely beneficial, not only to your class, but also to that to that student and, and can really help to turn them around and, and turn them from a, a bad student into a good student. Um, just by refocusing them and, and giving them that praise that they're not getting other places. And again, for us as the as the martial arts instructors, we want to help our students. That's what we're there for. We want to have a student first mindset. And so, if we have that student that is the disruption, again, know that that person they maybe just don't know how else to express themselves. Maybe they just need that attention, whether good attention or bad attention, they're, they're going to get attention from you or from the students uh, or th- their, uh, their classmates because they're the class cr- clown or they're, they're, they're messing around and you have to reprimand them. So they're going to get that focus. But if you can turn that focus from negative into a positive, oh my gosh, that can be so beneficial for that student and really can, can turn them around, not just in your class, but in in school, at home, it can be a big impact on them just to be that one source of light for that student. I think a a large concept to keep in mind as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about this, especially for me personally, but moving into these classes that we'll call quote-unquote bad classes or being in a class when we have quote-unquote a bad student. I think it's important for us in the position that we're in to, I think it's important to check ourselves and think about why, if it's a reoccurring problem, this student is what we would consider a bad student, or this class is what we can consider a bad class. And where I'm going with that is whether conscious or unconscious, I think we can develop a bias toward people or toward classes. So if you notice that there is a class that you always dread teaching or you're always thinking going into the class that it's going to be bad or you're always thinking that the class never goes well I I would encourage you I think it's very important that you sit back and think through the class and think through what actually happened and think through whether or not it was a bad class or you just are telling yourself it's a bad class or by telling yourself that's a bad class you're making it a bad class and I think that transcends into the students as well same idea if if you have a student who, uh, whether it's true or not, you always see them as a problem or you always think they are causing a problem, sit back and think to yourself that, again, whether conscious or unconscious, maybe you're just picking on that person, you know? I, not that you mean to, but in your head, you've already written them off as a problem student or a, a bad student. And so you're basically looking for a chance to reprimand them or looking for a chance to correct them or looking for a chance to call them out or put them in timeout or whatever it is. And you're developing that unconscious bias toward them. And 
you, you're not focusing on the things they do well or when they behave well because in your head they're the bad student. So you expect them to do bad. You're looking for them to do bad when really we need to uh, treat everyone the same and treat every class the same. That way we're not bringing that bias into the class or imposing that upon the person. And again, the, dif- the difficult part about this is that it can be conscious or unconscious. So I would hope that we're not consciously labeling our students this way or not consciously treating them a different way than other people uh, in this regard anyway. Some people need different treatment because of who they are and they need a different kind of attention, but at least de- determining whether they are bad or good, we shouldn't be doing that. We should be uh, treating everyone the same. And so again, whether we think about it or not, I think it's important to every once in a while, if you have constantly run into these problems, sit back and reevaluate the way that you were approaching them, the way that you're looking at them, because if it's unconscious, you don't have to think about it. You could be thinking in your head that everything's going fine, but you're just letting it happen and you're not even realizing it. And just taking stock of the way you are handling situations and, and talking to people and dealing with everyone individually and see if it's the same across the board or see if maybe you might be singling someone out or you might be giving someone a harder time than other people or you might be thinking in your head that before class even starts, you're going to sit this one student down and make them sit in timeout while everyone is, is practicing or exercising or you already think going to the class, okay, I'm just going to try to go through the motions and get this class done and over with rather than putting the time and the effort and the energy into leading a good class. You're just trying to let it let it pass. So this is something that I've been dealing with personally and thinking about it in a larger scale of rather than rather than just writing things or people off and really evaluating how I'm treating everyone, making sure I'm treating everyone the same, even if it's like a student that's been with you for a long time or a new student. Don't treat that new student differently than the other student that's been there longer or vice versa. Treat them the same, hold them to the same standards and expect the same thing from all of them. And also with your staff members, don't treat one staff member different than the other staff member. Treat everyone the same and make sure everyone's equal because having that preconceived idea or that subconscious bias toward people or classes can only be be a detriment to you. Um, and, and being aware of that and evaluating that is a constant thing. You don't think about it one time and then it's fixed. You need to be constantly thinking about how you're approaching people in classes and making sure that it's fair and you're not yourself causing those classes or people to be a problem by the way you look at them or the way you think about them. Yeah, and you know, that brings in a, another another topic too is um, if you are thinking about a class or a group of students as, you know, the bad class, where did that stem from? And and how how did that get started? And what can you do to, to change that around? So if you are with a group of students for one belt cycle and then they move to a, another instructor for another belt cycle, how can you turn that quote unquote bad group or what everybody thinks or expects to be a bad group into the best group? How can you turn them around? By giving them praise. Praise them for the things they are genuinely doing good. And by getting that praise, that will help to change that for their minds as well. Because of course, if you think they're the bad class, then they, I'm sure, also think they're the bad class. At some level, they know that they don't know everything as well as they should, or they're not on the same playing field as some of the other students or the other classes. And so by giving them praise for things that they do well, will help to turn the tides for that group not only for you and for the rest of the staff, but also for those students. And so it'll turn them from thinking that, man, I'm just terrible at this. I can't do this. I don't know why. I don't understand into, well, man, well, he gave me praise for that. Wow, that I, I, I don't think I've ever had anybody tell me a good job before. Wow, okay, I must be, I'm going to try harder for this. I want, I want more good jobs because that was way better than, hey, do that better. You, that was terrible. Those, that, that, that doesn't feel good, but it felt really good to, to hear somebody say, wow, that was amazing. And so by giving them praise, you can turn that bad group or those bad students or whatever it is into a good class. And then by doing that as well, for you, the staff member, by looking for those positive things that will change your mindset, it'll change your focus from 
the negative into the positive. Because if you look for bad things or negative things, you will find bad and negative things. But if you're looking for good things, then you will find good things. I'm sure we talked about this in our in our praise and correction episode as well. But if that's what you're focused on, that's what you're going to find. So if you have that class that you think or everybody else thinks or they the students themselves think that they're the bad class or the negative, whatever it is, shift your focus. Look for the positive things. Be on the outlook for the good things that happen during that class. Stop the class. Make a big deal of it. Make it over top. Praise. Man, hey, every, hey whoa, whoa, everybody stop. Everybody stop. Look, hey, Anthony just did this move. I want everybody to watch Anthony. Anthony, go ahead. Do it. No, come on. Go ahead. Do the move, man. All right, man. Look, his stance is great. He did that with awesome power. Anthony, good job. Give me five. Pow. Now, listen, hey, do you guys want Anthony to be better than you? No, sir. All right, well, then let's see if we can do it just as good as Anthony did on this move. And so in that in, in that instance there, Anthony did something that was, it, maybe it was mediocre, but I stopped the, it was good enough, right? He, he could do the move. He didn't, he didn't completely, you know, bomb out and just couldn't do the right, you know, in, anywhere even close to the right thing. He was at least in the ballpark. Stop the class. All right, Anthony, go ahead, do the move, man. Everybody lo- watches him. Now, of course, when you do this, you have to realize that you're putting pressure on that student. You have to understand that they need to know how to do the move at least at least mediocre to be able to do it in that type of quote unquote stressful situation because it'll be stress that you're placing on them. But you stop the class, you have them do that move, and then you praise them for those good things that they did and you let everybody else in class know what those things are. And then you pose as a challenge. All right, hey, listen, can you guys do as good as he can? Now, this works really good on, on any level in those classes that are the quote unquote, the bad classes. But if you can pick a particularly, it's hard to, it's hard to, hard to say this and, and not, and not be down about this, but if you can pick a student that is at the lower end of the spectrum, that it really isn't performing very well. And of course that student would know it. And the majority of the time, the rest of the class would know it as well. But if you can pick that student, stop the class, show everybody their move, and then praise them for that move, oh my gosh, that will quickly turn around that class just by letting them know that you're on their side. Sometimes that the, the, the students or the class shows up and they know that, or they think rather, that everybody is out to get them because that's all they hear. And so if you can give them praise, that will help to show them that you're on their side. You are there for their best interest. You want to see them succeed and move on and, and, and have the praise and, and get their belt and move to the next level and, and, and grow their knowledge and all of those things. If you can show them that you're on their side, be a team player for them, that can also help quickly turn the tides in your favor and in their favor as well. You know, we talked about also timeouts. I think you mentioned timeouts. And I think talking about turning a bad class into a good class, I think timeouts is a, is, is a, is, is a point of topic that we, that we can discuss. Dealing with timeouts in the classroom. If you have a student who is interrupting your class by either not paying attention or talking while you're talking or goofing around, you need to handle it quickly. If you let these disruptions continue, that's where the bad class can happen. It can carry over to the rest of the class and cause them to lose their focus as well. So a simple three strike rule is an easy fix for these issues. As simple as it sounds, it's so effective in dealing with these issues on the teaching floor. So strike number one is a verbal warning. Strike number two is a second verbal warning. And strike number three is a timeout. Your students will need to know how this process works before you go through the list with them. You can even remind them as you're giving the strikes out. For example, Calvin, that's strike number one. If you keep interrupting me, you're going to get another warning. Then you're going to have to sit in timeout. Do you want to sit in timeout? Yes, sir, or no, sir? In this example, I have a couple of hidden gems. The first of which I'm telling the student exactly what they did wrong. They were interrupting me. Next, you let them or him in this case, know what's going to happen if he continues to go and interrupt me or do whatever the, the thing was that, that caused him to, to get the stripe for the first time. 
The importance of this is it connects their action with the action you want to remove with the timeout. Doing this will help to remind the student if they do not change their actions, they will be in timeout. And a timeout is not something they want at any age. Pretty well every age knows what a timeout is and knows that it's something that they don't want. Your students will understand this. Another important item is this is I asked the student a question. I gave them, and then on top of that, I gave them a response I was looking for. I said, yes, sir, or no, sir, to make sure they understood that I was talking, what I was talking about. And in doing so, I gained control of that conversation by asking the question. If you let your students talk, they will continue to be in control by asking the questions. You can get control of the conversation by asking the questions because then that puts them on the option to only answer the question. And then you ask them another question, then they can only answer that question. So that makes it so you can control where that conversation is going. By giving the response I was looking for, it'll be easy for the student to give me that answer because I told them what I, what I want them to tell me. Now, of course, if the student continues to be a disruption in your class, you need to give them another strike. And if it continues again, then you give them the timeout. You need to realize that you're doing this for both the student, for that student in particular, but also for the whole class. You're not going to be able to teach a class if you have to handle a problem student every other word that you say. And so by causing that student to be in timeout, that'll help to put that student in line with where they need to be at, but also to help keep the flow of the class going because you don't have to continue to stop yourself to answer that person's questions or to, to deal with that person that's causing the disruption. Now, when you have a student in timeout, you need to know how old they are or at least close to their age. They should only be in timeout one minute per year of age. Meaning if you put a four-year-old in timeout, they're going to be in timeout for four minutes. Before you let them come back to class, you also need to have a talk to talk to them, or maybe this could be a team member that has a talk with them about what happened and how it affected their class and their learning. It's important to let them know as well that you will be letting their parents know that they were in timeout and why they were in timeout. As you can imagine, this last step greatly helps with their discipline in the upcoming classes because it lets the parents know what happened and will help to get the parents on your side. Parents send their kids to martial arts to help with a lot of life building skills. At the top of nearly every parent's list of what they're looking for to get out of your program is discipline. If you allow the students to be disrespectful in class, you will be losing the students and they will not be gaining that discipline. So by having that timeout system in place will help to take that bad person or that person that's causing the disruption in your class and remove them, at least for a time, help to refocus the students that are still in your class. And then you can have an opportunity or a, a staff member or team member can go back to that student that caused the disruption, talk about what happened. Hey, listen, we're going to talk about this with your mom as well after class, just real quick. Then that will help to double down as it were on that discipline for that student. One thing about, well, a few things about this that also make it a very beneficial thing. And as you're talking, as beneficial as it can be, it, it should not be our go-to, meaning we shouldn't be handing out timeouts as if it was the only way to deal with these issues. We need to have those other tools and ways around these issues and ways to bring our class back once we feel like we've lost them or bring that student back once we feel that we've lost them. But the three strike rule is a, is a great way to implement that because number one, as you said, everyone sees and everyone hears. So when one person does something wrong and you call them out for it, everyone understands, okay, I cannot do that. I cannot behave that way. Otherwise I'm going to get in trouble. And this feeds into the concept of the fact that your students, not only in terms of the way they behave, but also in terms of the way they do their techniques, keep in mind that they will get away with whatever you let them get away with. So if in class, if you let them get away with talking a whole bunch and not holding their position and goofing off and everything, they're going to start doing that because they see and they recognize that you will let them do that. Or if they're doing their techniques and you let them do it poorly, they're going to see that you let them do it poorly. They're going to see that you let them not put a lot of effort into it. 
So we need to be, be sure that we have the standards that we've talked about before, and we are holding them to those standards and making sure everyone knows those standards and understands what we expect from them. So again, they will get away with whatever you let them get away with. So we need to make sure we're strict and, and, and on top of those expectations, making sure everyone understands. So again, everyone can see the discipline happen when we call someone out and say, hey, that's strike one. If you keep messing around, if you don't hold your position, you're going to get another strike and then eventually you're going to be in timeout. So everyone can see that happen. And then the three strike rule also gives them a chance to correct themselves or fix themselves. So maybe it's a, 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 a situation where they are just testing you. They're testing you to see what you'll let them do, or they're testing you to see what they can get away with. And once they realize that, oh, okay, Mr. Bean isn't going to let me do this. I'm going to shape up and, and let my, let, you know, I'm going to be disciplined and, and do what I'm supposed to do. Then that solves that problem right away. And rather than having to do that 20 times for each person, it's on display for everyone to see. And then they know that you're not going to let them get away with that, that, uh, that, that type of behavior or that type of, of performance. And then that alone, I think, can help rein that class in if it's getting out of hand. You just got to call it that one person and make sure it's justified. Don't call someone out just to call someone out. Make sure they actually did something that's not acceptable or not okay. Otherwise, you're just going to, it's, it's you know, it, that's an abuse of that ability or an abuse of that power. And also be sure that you, the way you are treating them and the way you're running your class lines up with what you expect from them. So if I'm being goofy, if I'm messing around, if I'm making jokes, I'm not being disciplined. I can't snap on somebody for doing the same thing that I'm doing. So the way that I want the class to go, I need to set that tone. If I want them to be focused and disciplined and, and be serious and, and pay attention, then I need to exemplify those things. Otherwise, it's it makes me a hypocrite. If I want to be here and have fun and screw around, and then as soon as the student starts to do that, I snap on them and discipline them, then that's just me walking one way and, and talking another way. So you need to make sure that you yourself are in check and you yourself are leading a class the way you want it to be. That way it's not a, a, a two-sided thing. It's not, oh, well, I'm telling you to do this, but I'm doing this, but I get to do this because I'm in charge and you have to do this other thing. Hold yourself to the same standards and same expectations and set the proper tone for that class and then hold everyone else accountable for that. And, and um, that those few things can help feed into the idea of either bringing your class back once it has become, quote-unquote, a bad class, or keeping it in line so it doesn't become a bad class. You know, the last step in that three-strike rule is to put them in timeout. You have to be willing to follow through with that. So you can't say, hey, John, that's, you know, that's strike one because you were disrupting me or talking while I was talking. If you do that again, I'm going to give you another strike, then you're going to be in timeout. Do you want to be in timeout? No, sir. Okay. Then they do it again. John, that's strike two. You do it one more time. I'm going to put you in timeout. Do you understand that? Yes, sir. Okay. Then when it happens again, you can't say, John, straighten up. John, don't do that. John, stop. You have to put them in timeout. And it has to be that very next time, like you said it was going to be. What that'll do is that'll show the students that you mean what you say. When you say something, you're going to follow through and do what it is that you say. In that situation, you said you were going to put him in timeout. Then you have to put him in timeout. And that you have to understand that that's going to be best for that student so he can learn that and, and correct that moving forward. But it's also going to be best for the other students because then they're not causing that disruption and interrupting their learning time. So follow through with what you're going to say. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Put them in timeout. They're only going to be in timeout for a handful of minutes. Talk about what happened, then put them back in class. And if it happens to be that one time where you do it and that person just breaks down and, and starts crying, because from time to time that will happen, then let that happen. It, that's going to be the best thing for them. So they can learn that those actions are not acceptable while they're in your class. Because otherwise, they're just going to continue doing those and pushing the boundaries of what you will accept until you get to your breaking point, and then it'll be a lot worse later on instead of cutting it off now and dealing with it now as opposed to later. Those times when that student will break down and maybe start to cry or just shut down and, and, and act defeated, that is the realization that they have to behave correctly. That is the realization that you 
are going to do what you said. And if we don't follow through and hold fast to what we say we're going to do, I don't think that's ever going to benefit them because we can say as many times as we want, hey, this is your third strike. Don't do that again. If we don't follow through and do what we said we're going to do, then there's, there's no consequence for their actions. And sometimes for most people, all it takes is that one time they're in timeout. And as you said, we've seen people break down. It's going to happen. And even sometimes when someone's messing around and you tell them, hey, that's your third strike, you're in timeout, you can see their face. It drops. The realization on their face of like, oh, I messed up. Now I have to go to jail. <laughs> now I have to go to jail or time out. But that realization sinks in that like, hey, I messed up. I want to be better than this. I don't want to be this kid who's in time out. And then that switches that. It's kind of like a switch in their head. You know, they realize, hey, I got to I gotta be on top of what's going on. I got to behave better because I'm better than this. I know better. And it's tough. It's tough to, to have to put kids in time out. It's tough to have to watch that happen. But in the long run, long term, that's the best thing for them to make them come to that realization that they need to behave a certain way or come to that realization that they want to be better. And it's going to only help them improve as they continue. Now, there are some people this just, this isn't the case for. And I think that it is, says a lot about their life outside of the martial arts studio. And there's so much we can do, but we still need to hold fast to what we say we're going to do and use the tools and tactics that we have to try to mitigate these situations. But again, it's we don't do it because we want to see people sit down. We want to see people miss out. We want to see, want to see people in trouble. We do it because it's beneficial not only to that one student, but to the whole class. And, and, and as you said before, parents are, are paying us and sending their, 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 their children to us, their students to us, to develop strong character skills and develop good habits and good behavior and if we let them get away with everything and let them and let them believe that there's no consequence for their actions and we are not doing that so as hard as it can be and sometimes and uh as difficult as it can be for some students to be held to those those standards we have to and that is the benefit and that that is the benefit not only for the student but for the class and helps to build those those character character traits that we all know come from the martial arts and that every parent wants their student to have. Yeah, and you know, I can even remember sitting out three and four-year-olds. They'll go in timeout, they'll cry. And up to that point, that person was a disruption nearly every class or every class. I put them in timeout one time, they cried about it, talked about it after, you know, after their timeout time was done, brought them back to class. For weeks, I didn't have to give that person a strike anymore. And then they started to fall back in their old habits. I gave them one strike, boom. They were back for weeks. I gave them one strike, boom. And I don't think I can remember a handful of times I don't have to give those, that person a strike anymore. This is done. So after that one instance, going through the one tough time of putting that kid in timeout, you know, having them cry on the side, just, just sitting there for a second or for you know, four minutes or three minutes or whatever, even at that very young age, three and four-year-olds, year that that was it for them. They, they realized, okay, I can't do this. I can't act like this. And I'm sure that having that conversation with the parents helped with those. But regardless, that changed that person from being a disruption every single class, getting two, uh, you know, one or two strikes every single time and just missing out on that third one just because their class is only so long. It changed it. They, 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 you know, they got one strike after, a, you know, once a month. They get one strike the next month. And then, you know, once that happened, you know, maybe two, two months or so, then that person has no more strikes. They just, they were done. After just that one time of being in timeout, that was enough for them. They didn't want to go through that situation again. They're fixed. Fixed maybe isn't the right term, but they, they, they didn't have that issue anymore. And again, I'm sure part of that was the parents that helped that. And that's fine. If that's, if that's what it takes to help that student not be a disruption and actually be able to be in class and, and partake and, and learn and go through the movements and not have the disruption to the other students, then having the parents on board is great. And having the parents on board, of course, is, is good for, for us, uh, the students, as, or the, it's good for us, the instructors as well, because that means that they're going to help to push the student to be their best. 
and they want to see their their child succeed as we want to see the student succeed. And driving home the point to to change this from a disciplinary action to a develop developmental action is number one, making sure that student understands why they're in timeout. Hey, you weren't listening. You were talking while I was talking. You can't do that. So, you know, you have to give that third strike. You say, all right, uh, Caden, you're in timeout now. Do you understand why you're in timeout? Yes, I was talking while you were talking. I was like, okay, you can't do that. You can't do that. When someone's talking, you need to listen. If you have something to say, you can raise your hand. You can answer or I'll call on you, whatever it is. But making sure that student understands what they did wrong. That way it's not just, I don't know, my instructor put me in timeout because they're mean to me or they're, they're, they're not nice. No, you're in timeout because of X, Y, or Z reason. So making sure the student understands why they're in timeout. And then anytime you put someone in timeout, you need to let that parent know. Not only, like you said, so that they can reinforce that when they go home, but also everyone, every parent wants to know what's going on. Like if I'm over here, maybe I'm not really paying attention to the class, but I happen to look in and my kid's sitting on the, sitting in the corner. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? Like, what did my kid do? We want them to be in the loop as well. We're not just here to take care of them for 45 minutes and send them home. Again, we want to develop them and make them into better people. So letting the parents know they were in timeout anytime we have to, more often than not, if they're paying attention, they'll probably see what happened and be on the same side as you. If they weren't paying attention, being able to explain the situation to them, again, more often than not, they'll be on your side. You'll have every once in a while, someone will push back against you. But as long as you are justified in putting them in timeout and you have the correct mindset of trying to make them better and not just discipline them, I think it it helps to put you in a better position to be able to do those things. So make sure the student understands why they are in timeout and then make sure the parent also knows what happened again so they can reinforce that at home or just so they're in the loop. So, you know, they get in the car and the student starts crying and the parent has no idea why they're so upset. Well, if you let them know that, hey, we had to sit in timeout today, they can have a conversation with them on the way home or when they get home and again, reinforce that those developmental tools or um, help to keep them on the right path. Do you have anything else to add for turning a bad class into a good class, sir? No, sir. I think we, uh, we were able to cover quite a, quite a bit of good topics here, and hopefully that gives us or reminds us at the very least to be aware of how we are treating everyone, making sure that we are able to not let one bad thing ruin the whole class or the whole night. And even if we have that bad class happening, we're able to implement those pivots and and activities that can help us pull away from that and change it back into a good class. And how can the, uh, the listeners dive in and give us some feedback or comments and questions for our future podcasts? Yes, sir. We're on the socials, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, YouTube, and Instagram. On all those platforms, you can find us at MA Teaching Tactics, MA for Martial Arts Teaching Tactics. Again, that is MA Teaching Tactics. I think uh, Twitter is actually MA Teaching Tact because I couldn't fit all the letters into Twitter. But if you start te- if you start typing MA Teaching Tactics, it'll obviously show up on Twitter. Until next time, I'm Chris Bean. And I'm Chris Kent.